Before we get into today's episode, my wife Sadie and I have a brand new album out entitled Good to Me. As so many of our listeners know, I am completely blind. And in this season of blindness, these are the songs that strengthen and carry our faith. We want to share this new project with you, and if you like what you hear, visit our website, awakenedtograce.com. Click the link called Store, purchase some products, and it all goes to the spreading of the gospel. Here is a song from our album, Good to Me. Today on Awaken to Grace, we begin a brand new series entitled Good to Me. Today, we are in the Garden of Eden, 
We're in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to study the story of Adam and Eve and how the calamity of sin came to humanity. When Satan tempted Eve, this is essentially what Satan was saying. He told Eve, if God were good, then why is he withholding something from you? That's the premise of his temptation. And you know, my friend, Satan uses the same playbook in our lives today. He tries to tell us, if God were good, then why are you suffering what you're suffering? If God were good, then why are you going through what you're facing? He uses the same temptation on us. Well, today we're going to answer the question, is God really good? So I'm glad you're with me today as we study God's Word out of Genesis chapter 3 on this episode of Awakened to Grace. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. I'm also going to invite you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Today, 2 Corinthians 5.21 will be the foundation of what I want to share out of Genesis 3. We will explore in detail the first seven verses of Genesis 3, and we'll highlight the rest of the chapter. But I want to ground our thinking today. The foundation of what we're going to say is going to be primarily out of 2 Corinthians 5. For the next two weeks, as we introduce this new series entitled Good to Me, we are going to root ourselves out of the New Testament, but we're going to go back to the Old Testament to more so understand its meaning and its truth. Next week, Lord willing, we will be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to see how our lives, if we are to know the good and perfect will of God for our life, then the Bible says that we must first be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That word acceptable is what I cannot get out of my heart and my spirit. So I've been going back and studying Genesis And next week, we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to see why Cain's offering was rejected, yet Abel's offering was accepted. And we're going to see with clarity that Abel was accepted by God, Cain was rejected, and the same is true today in this New Testament, in this new covenant that you and I live. There are some who their sacrifice, their life, their intentions, their lifestyle is rejected by God, just as Cain was. And yet there are others who are accepted by God just as Abel was. And we're going to break down the difference in their sacrifice and how today you and I are to be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable before God. Well, now I'm way ahead of myself. That's next week. All that's free today. That's freebies. 
Let's go to Genesis 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Now, here's my point. You will never understand the significance between the sacrifice of Cain, which was produce, the best of his land, and the sacrifice of Abel, which was a blood sacrifice. You will miss the meaning of that. You won't understand the weightiness of it until you understand what's going on in Genesis chapter 3. And what my premise today, what I want to show you today, is that when Adam and Eve had their catastrophic fall, when the calamity of sin entered into the world, into humanity, what was their first initial response? They clothed themselves with fig leaves. I want to draw a very clear distinction today, and I want to show you that just like our ancestors, just like our original father and mother, Adam and Eve, when you and I feel the conviction of sin, when we realize our offense against God, when we realize that we are in need and what sin does to our life, you and I have the exact same tendency. We try to make for ourselves a covering. And for most people, it looks like good intentions. For many people, it looks like religion and religious rituals. Well, perhaps if I go to church, I'll be favored by God. Perhaps if I fast or if I read the Bible or if I become a better person, perhaps if I do good to others, if I try to be more kind, if I could just quit trying to cuss, if I could do this or if I could do that, then I would be accepted in God's eyes. Perhaps if I gave to charities or I did something for someone for Christmas or the holidays, I would be accepted. And friends, what you and I do is we sow for ourselves these fig leaves to cover ourselves, and they're insufficient. And today I'm going to show you out of the Word of God how after God pronounced such judgment on Adam and on Eve and on the serpent and even the ground and the world itself in God's grace and in God's incredible mercy, he closed them. Himself. And I'm going to show you today how you and I can be clothed today in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? Amen. All right, let's go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, And he who knew no sin became sin, so that, here's the reason, here's the conclusion so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what we're going to see today in Genesis chapter 3, there are so many foundational truths to Christianity out of Genesis 3. If you will carefully study Genesis 3, what it will do is shape your worldview into a biblical worldview. And it answers so many questions. It truly is a foundational chapter in the Bible. So we must understand the reason Christ came 
was that he who knew no sin, who had never known any separation from the Father for all of eternity, will one day, hanging on a cross, feel that great separation and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's the only time in the entire Bible that Jesus does not say Father. Because for the first time in eternity, he was separated from his father. He who knew no sin became sin so that we, out of our nakedness, as we're gonna reach back and see in Genesis 3, because of our nakedness, because of our fig leaves, that we might be clothed in the righteousness of God. Genesis chapter three, let's begin in verse number one. Scripture says that the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had created. And he said to the woman, has God actually said, you shall not eat of any tree? Now, let's understand a couple of foundation things as we go forward in Genesis 3. If you're going to take notes, let me share with you a bit of my perspective, and you're welcome to agree or disagree, but I'll just share with you some of my perspective. I think when it comes to, the, when it comes to these scriptures of Genesis 2 and 3, at least for me, it is very hard to overcome the smallness of the images that I saw growing up in Sunday school. Anybody grow up in Sunday school with flannel graph boards? No, it wasn't a real church if you didn't have flannel graph. The Holy Spirit moved in flannel graphs, right? (laughs) And if you were like me, You grew up seeing these little images of this little garden of Eden and Adam and Eve hiding behind the trees, which scripture does say. But here's where I think it's difficult. The only thing you and I know, the only thing we know is a cursed world. I don't believe our minds can even imagine. I don't think we can even fathom what the garden of Eden really is. Was You know, in chapter two, the Bible tells us the borders of the Garden of Eden. Let me tell you, it was massive. I don't know why, maybe just the images I grew up seeing. I picture the garden being this little, small, tranquil, cute place. No, it was massive. And, you know, it's interesting, the Garden of Eden, it says it was a planting of the Lord God. Imagine No thorns, no thistles, no sin, no evil, no corruptness. I mean, absolute state of perfection. And can you imagine the beauty of the Garden of Eden? And see, Scripture tells us it was located between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Friends, that's the Middle East. And where is the world the richest in oil? In the Middle East. Why do you think it's the richest in that broken down vegetation? Because that's where the Garden of Eden was located. Have you ever stopped to think when you pump gas into your car, you may be pumping the Garden of Eden right into it? It was massive. 
But I don't think that it was necessarily what we envision. So when scripture says that the serpent, now let's, let's follow me here. When the scripture says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, that word subtle actually means wise, prudent, crafty. But I don't think that the serpent necessarily looked like serpents as we know them today. As a matter of fact, part of the curse. And scholars go back and forth on this. Did Satan embody a physical serpent like this? I mean, it could talk, which was crazy enough. Supernatural. I don't think it necessarily looked like what we would think today. Matter of fact, part of the curse on the serpent was what? That it would crawl on its belly for the rest of the days and eat of the dust of the ground. I don't, I, when Scripture says that Adam and Eve were naked, and when their eyes were opened after eating the fruit, it says that they were naked and they realized they were naked. Uh, you know, many scholars believe that they weren't like stark naked like you and I picture after the fall. What were they before the fall? Could it be that they were clothed in light? I tend to think so. I think perhaps they were clothed in the light of God. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that God is the father of, of light. And you know, of all the sciences, you know what the one thing that scientists cannot quite figure out? It's light. The speed of light has been measured since the 1600s. And did you know that the speed of light <clears throat> is increasingly slowing down in the universe? That's a huge problem for evolutionists who believe that things evolve to better no, it's getting worse. And see, there are a handful of reasons why men would have lived hundreds and hundreds of years in this prehistoric early Genesis time. There, there, there's a handful of explanations as to why they would live for hundreds of years. Anybody remember Methuselah? I just wrote a devotional on Methuselah. I'm going to be out in a few weeks. Well, how long did Methuselah live? 969 years. How can you physically explain that? Well, they're so close to the original creation. Their DNA was so close to that of Adam and Eve in this state of perfection. But you know one explanation, as there are many, oxygen of the earth and uh, many, just many reasons as to why why they would have lived so long. But one possible reason, <clears throat> if you study how the speed of light is slowing down, could there be a link to the speed of light and how long humanity lives? There very well may be. And it would make sense that in the garden, they were clothed with light. That may be what they lost in losing that innocence when sin entered the world. So the serpent, here's my point. The serpent, I don't think, was a serpent as you and I envision it today. I think this was far different, and I think Adam and Eve were clothed with light. <clears throat> and the serpent, who is subtle, who is crafty, who is prudent, who is wise, comes to Eve, and note what he says to her. Has God actually said... Do not eat of the trees of the Garden of Eden. 
And notice what she says. Well, we can eat of any tree of the Garden of Eden. Uh, verse number three, but of the tree in the midst of the garden, we are not to eat of or touch lest we die. Now, if you've ever heard this text preach, you'll be quick to remember. She adds to what God says, correct? Satan twists what God says. She adds to it. Now, I'll be honest. I used to judge Eve a bit concerning that. <laughs> and then this week, I realized when you get to chapter 2, when God instructs Adam and says, you will not eat of this tree or you will die, that was before Eve was ever created. The more I think about it this week, it was Adam's responsibility to clearly communicate to his wife what God had said. You know what I think happened? I think Adam was a bit infatuated with her, and I think he had other stuff on his mind. Now, that's not a scholar's point of view. That's my point of view. And so she adds to God's word. He, she says, well, not only can we not eat of it, we can't even touch it. And then he says, he says to the woman, verse four, you shall not surely die. Verse five, well, God knows if you eat it, you will know the difference between good and evil and you will become as wise as God. Now, here's why I want to dive into this today. When you look at how Satan is tempting Eve, if you're going to take notes, I want you to note this because this is, this is the premise of Satan's temptation to Eve. This is the entire basis of what he's telling her. What he is telling Eve is that God is holding out on you. God is withholding something good from you. And let me tell you, my precious friends, that is the same lie. That is the same deception. That is the same corruption that he tries to bring into my life and your life today. Let's just get honest today. Have you ever prayed to God and asked for his help but felt like he was withholding it? Have you ever asked God to answer a prayer and you knew in your heart that in a moment God could intervene and yet it felt he held out on you? Have you ever prayed and been mightily disappointed with God? Have you ever believed with all of your heart and you knew that God could change things in one nano of a second, but yet God didn't and it felt as though God wasn't good? Let me tell you, if you're going to grow in your faith, if you're going to grow <clears throat> in the measure of Christ, if Christ is going to be formed inside of you, if you are going to mature in your faith as a believer, you have got to come to a place where you believe that God is good, even when it looks like he's not. You believe that God is good even when things don't change, God is good. The temptation to Adam and Eve is the same temptation today. 
God is withholding from you. Friends, let me tell you, Psalms chapter 84, verse 11, it says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. You have got to get it into your soul like cement. It has got to form in you that God is always good. Even when it looks like he's not. So watch what happens. This serpent who is cunning and crafty and wise and prudent. This most crafty beast of all the field that the Lord God had created this brand new creation comes to Eve and says, has God really said this? Are you sure that's what God meant? Are you sure God's not holding out on you? And look at verse six. And when the woman saw that it was good for food, listen to this, that it was good for food, delight to the eyes and would make her wise, she took of the fruit. Now, if you will, go with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. I will turn there in my head. (laughs) Oh, I tell you, being blind... Having Caleb read all that Revelation scripture for me, I got lazy. I got to work double time to memorize all my texts now. (laughs) But Lord willing, we'll get it. If I miss a phrase, just say, Lord, bless him. Bless his heart, right? (laughs) 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. What I want to show you It's the same playbook that Satan had in the Garden of Eden with Eve. It's the same playbook he has with you and I. Verse 15, love not the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Now, first of all, we have to define what the world is. What does this mean, love not the world? How do you clearly define that for your life? Well, obviously, in the scripture, there are two meanings for world. There is the cosmos, which would be our physical universe that we would call the world. But obviously, this is not what it's speaking of. This is speaking of that system, that worldliness that opposes the things of God. So for you, for me, how do we clearly define what the world is in our life? I think John Wesley defined it the best. In the 1800s, John Wesley said it like this. The world, I'm sorry, the 1700s. The world is anything that cools my affections for Jesus. Oh, that's a great definition, friends. The world, what is worldliness? It is anything that cools my affections for Jesus. So take me, for example. I love my sports. I follow, even though I'm blind, I follow sports all the time. I can tell you stats. I can tell you when lost records. I I listen to sports. I listen to all my games. All of it. I love it. 
except on weekends that Tennessee plays Georgia. I don't pay attention on that weekend. I just don't even, I just don't even listen to it. Or when they play Alabama, or when they play Florida, uh, most of their games. But anyways, it's been a rough decade. Anyway, so I digress. Uh, worldliness. Now, is football worldly? How do you define it? I don't know what your interests are. I don't know what competes for your time. I don't know what takes the affections of your heart. But I know this, I can take something that's not worldly, like football, and I can make it worldly by allowing it to cool my affections for Jesus. I can let it compete for my time and my affections. So for example, my team lost in a great way yesterday. <laughs> I mean, they played a good first half, but that's, you know, if the first half counted, we would be great. But what if I let that affect my mood today? What if I was in a rotten mood because of the way my hobby went? See what I'm saying? That's cooling my affections for Jesus. Some of you, oh Lord Jesus, help me right now. I'm going to Step on toes. Some of you love your phone. But your phone is the greatest problem in your marriage. You know why? Because it steals your attention. It steals your affections. And if it is affecting your spouse, what is it doing to the Lord God Almighty? If it, 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 you're with me right now, right? Some of you all about politics. And I like politics. I listen to too much politics, to be honest. I'll just confess. And I like to yell at the TV. And I like to, I like for it to rile me up. Isn't that awful? (laughs) I like to get mad about it and. Rant and go on. But see, if it cools my affections for Jesus, I have just let something that is important become worldly. Now say amen if you're with me right now. You know what I'm talking about. Don't, uh, it's not that everything is worldly. It's that we let things become worldly when they compete for our affections for Jesus. So he says, don't love the world or anything that's in the world for anyone who loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. And then he goes on to define what's in the world. Look what he says, verse 16. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So here is the serpent telling Eve, God's not being good to you. God is withholding from you. And God doesn't have your best interest in mind. And then what does he bring before her? The same play he brings before us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now go back to Genesis 
3 and look at verse 6 and look how it plays out. When she saw that it was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh. And a delight to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes. And that it would make her wise like God, that's the pride of life. Do you see Satan's playbook exposed? Now, what's the lust of the flesh? Well, that's that war between things of the spirit and things of the flesh in you, sinful desires. There's a war that's always raging in you. You know, an old Native American who was born again was quoted saying this. He said, when it comes to the difference between the lust of the flesh and the things of the spirit. He said, it's like I have a evil dog and I have a good dog inside me and they constantly fight one another. Actually, he said a wolf, if I'm not mistaken, a, 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 an evil wolf and a good wolf. And they're always fighting. They're always clashing. They're always battling. And he said, you know what? Wolf always wins the battle. The one I feed, the one I keep the strongest. And see, that's what Paul meant in Galatians when he said, you and I must crucify our flesh. We, we, either we're going to walk according to the things of the flesh and not of the spirit, or we're going to walk according to the things of the spirit and not gratify the things of the flesh. Do you see the difference? What do you keep stronger in your life? Do you feed the things of the spirit more or do you feed the things of the flesh more. And if you're someone that you're always intaking, always taking the eye gate, the ear gate, you're always taking in things of the flesh, worldly things, then friends, how in the world are you going to walk according to the spirit? The simple answer is you're not going to. You're not going to. The things of the eyes, the desires of the eyes. What does this mean? You know, it's actually quite interesting. If you study carefully the Bible, it does appear what Satan loves to use the most is the eye gate. Isn't that interesting? David overlooking the balcony to Bathsheba. But do you know what God seems to use the most in humanity? The ear gate. For what does Scripture say? He who has an ear, let him... Here. Faith comes by hearing and by the and hearing by the word. God loves to use the hearing. Satan often uses the eyes. Why? Because of the lust of the eyes. And then, of course, the pride of life. How many people in our culture today where we value education, we value knowledge. We value titles. How many people are filled with the pride of life because a certain title is attached to their name? Be on guard, my friend. You know, it's interesting to me when Jesus walked the earth, this short three years of his earthly ministry, you know what the Bible tells us he marveled at? either faith or lack of faith. That's the only thing that Jesus was impressed with. Isn't that something else? He was never impressed with a title. 
He was never impressed with a position or with the skill or an ability or a talent. He was only impressed with faith. The same is true in my life and yours. You can't impress Jesus apart from faith. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2, 16, it's the same playbook of Genesis chapter 3. And when she saw that it was good for food, lust of the flesh, delightful to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and would make her wise like God, the pride of life, then the snare was set. And the Bible says she partook of the fruit. Now, here's what the Bible doesn't tell us. Isn't it interesting, in our world today, everything is time-stamped, isn't it? That's fascinating to me. One thing that, you know, sometimes my imagination just wonders, and I wonder, you know, will the Lord almost, uh, you know, I... I just think it'd be great if the Lord, just like a massive uh, video screen, will let us watch events of the past play out. Wouldn't you love to actually see the events of the Garden of Eden? And if, 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 that, if we could see that, you know, one of my great questions would be, what's the time stamps of these events? How long was the serpent, how long was he in the garden before he talked to Eve? How long did he watch her? How long, the garden was so huge, how long did it take him to trap her at the tree of the garden of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Where was Adam in all of this? Was Adam there through the whole temptation? Or did he come after the serpent had left? The Bible didn't tell us. The only thing that the Bible says is that she partook of the fruit and then gave it to her husband. And then it says, who was with her? Now that leads me to believe he was there through the whole thing. It doesn't say who came up afterward, who came along later who was with her. That tells me it was in the present tense. If that's the case, then why didn't Adam say anything? Let me give a word to husbands right here. Men, it is your responsibility through and through to lead your family. It is not your wife's role and it is not her job and it is not on her shoulders to lead your family. It's your responsibility. And do you know where humanity got in trouble? When the wife became the initiator and the husband became the receiver. It's reversed in God's order. Where was Adam? What did he say? Well, let me propose something very intriguing. Say amen if you're with me right now. This is very intriguing. There are some scholars who wonder, and I wonder too, it makes me question out loud. What if Adam, just say Adam was not present and Eve was truly deceived, which she was. See, Romans 5 tells us the difference. Eve was deceived. Adam full on rebelled. Adam knew full well what he was doing. Eve didn't. Remember, Eve wasn't even around when God gave the command. All of this is on Adam's shoulders. So, so follow the thinking here. Say Adam was not around at the time of the temptation and he comes, he strolls in later. 
and he finds out what Eve had done. Adam knew what God had said. You will die. You know, what would have happened if Adam had stood his ground and said, you're in trouble, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to follow you. Would that mean that Eve would have eventually died and Adam would have lived forever in his perfect state of perfection? I don't know. But here's what some scholars think. Some scholars believe he loved Eve to such a degree he was not willing to live without her. Some believe that he sacrificed his eternity for the sake of Eve. Now, don't raise your hands, but husbands, how many of you love your wives to that degree? (laughs) Huh. Huh. Well, we'll let you stew on that. Now, is that the case? I don't know. But I tell you what does make sense to me. Follow the logic. If Eve was deceived and Adam in full intention, in full knowledge, partook of the fruit and sacrificed himself and became sin for her. Now the second Corinthians 5.21 not make a lot more sense that Jesus was not willing to go without us. That he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that remarkable? I think there's a lot of truth to that. So Adam partakes of the fruit. You know what happens next? Verse number eight. Then God comes in the cool of the day, in the breeze of the evening, and looks for them. Adam, where are you? After raising small children, I have such an appreciation for that verse. As though God didn't know. And isn't it interesting to read the very first excuses that ever entered humanity. Well, I was hiding God because I, I, uh, I, it's because I'm naked. Who told you you're naked? As though God didn't know any of this. You've done that with your children, right? Who broke this? And they're the only ones in the house. Boy, we get it honest, don't we? We get it honest. And so he says, I'm naked. Well, who told you you're naked? Did you do what I told you not to do? Well, I I can hear Adam now. (laughs) Well, do you remember that rib you took? Uh, You remember that? She did it. And so the first excuses form. And verse 7, now see, it's so easy to go from 6 to 8. But see, don't miss verse 7. When their eyes came open and they realized that they were naked, and I think that meant they lost the light of God. When they were 
truly stark naked, they sowed for themselves fig leaves. Now God comes on the scene and says, what have you done? Adam says, the woman you gave me did it. The woman says, the serpent did it. And so on and on, the excuses of humanity continue. And then God pronounces judgment. He tells Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. And when you die, you'll return to the dust from whence you came. Friends, let me tell you how critical it is that you understand Genesis 3. It's the reason you will die. It's the reason we all have an expiration date. It's the reason there's sickness in the world. It's the reason why there's lying and cheating and adultery and murder and rape and molestations and theft. This is the reason. You want to talk about calamity. Understand the weightiness. The gravity of Genesis chapter 3. And so they sow for themselves these loincloths. They sow fig leaves trying to cover themselves. Trying to cover what they've done. But it's not sufficient. And so God pronounces judgment on the man. And then God pronounces judgment on the earth. On the ground itself. God pronounces judgment upon the woman. And then God pronounces judgment upon the serpent. And then look at verse 21. And look what God in his grace does. Now, see, it's so easy to miss this. God takes animal skins and covers them. Why? Because, friends, what is the eternal principle? What is the biblical and universal and eternal principle of sin? There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. You got it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Do you know why? <clears throat> you realize there are many churches today that won't talk about the blood of Jesus. Any song that says the blood, they remove it because in their minds they're saying, no, this is, oh, no, no, these are the 2000s. We got to be careful. That's gory. That's good. No, people, that will repel people. Friends, do you know why it takes the blood of Jesus for the remission of sin? Because sin is death. And what entered into the garden that day, what entered into humanity that day was death. And you know what the Bible says is life? The life of the flesh is in the blood. Do you know how George Washington died? <laughs> in those days, in the colonial days, they believed that if you got sick, they would attach leeches all over you to drain the blood. They didn't have that biblical knowledge. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And what is in the natural is in the spiritual. The only way to replace death and the wages of sin is death. The only way to give it life is blood. And that's why only the blood of the lamb will suffice. That's why your good intentions and your good morality are no better than fig leaves. 
And that's why the animal skins were temporary. But because of the blood of Jesus that was shed, Hebrews, once and for all, now can save to the uttermost and can now clothe us, not with fig leaves, not with animal skins, but will clothe us in the righteousness of God. That's the gospel, my friends. And so God makes for them animal skins. In other words, God makes the first living sacrifice. He sheds blood on their behalf. And now God's going to do far more. You see, in the midst of the Garden of Eden was the tree of the knowledge of good and, uh, of good and evil. But what else was in the midst of the Garden According to verses 23 and 24, 22, the tree of life. Do you remember where else we find the tree of life? We discovered it a few weeks ago. The end of Revelation chapter 22, what is in the midst of heaven? What is beside the river of life? The tree of life that you and I will one day eat of. And do you know how much God loved Adam and Eve? you know how much God loved humanity? Now, now he, he, don't miss this. Sandwiched between, look, look, look at this. The opening of the Bible, Genesis 3, the tree of life. The closing of the Bible, Revelation 22. What do you find? The tree of life. What's directly in the center? A tree called the cross of Calvary. And there blood was shed for the remission of your sin and my sin, for full and complete pardon, for grace upon grace, that you and I might become the sons of God. Amen? (laughs) See, oh, say amen if you're with me right now. Oh, don't miss this. See, Adam was a son of God, Luke 1. A son of God as in Jesus? No, listen. A son of God, as in, similar to the angels, a direct creation of God. Direct creation. There's a Hebrew translation of that. That's what it meant in Job when it called angels the sons of God. Not as in the title of Jesus, as in the Trinity. No, don't misunderstand. It means a direct creation of God Almighty. You and I are not direct creations. That's why the Bible calls us the children of man. We're the sons of men. We come from Adam and Eve. We are the sons of men. But that's why, see, that's why when you're born again, John chapter one, verse 12, but as to many, but as to as many as believed on him, to them gave he the right or the power to become the sons of God. Do you see the difference? See, now we're not just born of flesh, Nicodemus. Now we're born of God. Amen. It's redemption. So they went from fig leaves to animal skins to today we're clothed with righteousness. Why? Because of the shedding of God's son, because of the shedding of his blood. We now have the righteousness of God. And so this tree of life, I'll begin to close here. Verse 24, God is going to close down the Garden of Eden. 
Why is he going to close it down? Because this is how much God loves humanity. Lest that man eats of the tree of life. And you know what the ramification of that is? Adam and Eve would have been eternally lost in their sins. But see, there's going to be a new garden one day. That great millennial kingdom. The whole earth will be as the garden of Eden. And you know what you and I are going to eat of? Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. You and I are going to eat of that same tree, that tree of life. Do you know why? Because the blood of the Lamb was shed for you, was shed for me. So where are you today? Are you in this place with fig leaves? Are you living before God with only good intentions? It's not enough. It's not sufficient. You will be weighed and found wanting. Some of you right now, your lifestyle is utter sin. You can justify it with this. You can justify it with that. But at the end of the day, you are sowing fig leaves. And that's all you'll have when you stand before Jesus. And friends, it's not enough. It wasn't enough for Father Abraham and Mother Eve. And it won't be enough for you. Some of you try to put on the animal skins of religion. You're just good enough, you think. You give. You pray a little. You got this compartment called church. And, this, and you keep God in this little compartment. It's not enough. But see, those of you who will come to the cross and say, only the blood of Jesus will do in my life. I will become a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God. Friends, you're the ones who will take hold of eternal life. You are the ones who will one day eat of the tree of life. And you and I will drink of the river of life. You know why? Because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, I wouldn't miss it for not one sin, for not one pleasure of this earth. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if there's worldliness in you, repent of it right now. Turn from it. Run from it. I don't care what you have to change. I don't care what you have to give up. I don't care what you have to say no to. I don't care whose feelings you have to hurt. Would you rather hurt them or would you rather offend God? That's your choice. His blood was shed for you. Between Genesis 3 and Genesis 22, you and I, uh, uh, Revelation 22, you and I stand at the cross today.
in this age of grace, will you repent? Will you yield? Will you surrender? Will you forsake your sin and let Christ clothe you in a righteousness that comes from God that you could never earn on your own? Pray with me right now. If you need to repent, if you're watching online, if you're in the building right now and you need to repent, I want you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, pray this in your heart right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins. I need a savior and I need forgiveness. I forsake sin and my self-sufficiency. I forsake my fig leaves and I ask for your forgiveness. Apply your blood, clothe me in righteousness and save me for all eternity. today and you're struggling and Satan's telling you that God is not good, pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, we receive your goodness. Salvation alone shows us how good you are. Don't let us doubt your goodness. And for those that don't know, will you answer their praying? Will you, will you help them? Will you rescue them? Will you deliver them? Well, God, I pray that you will form Psalms 84, 11 in them, that no good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly before you. So God, we receive your goodness. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy pursues us all the days of our life. We receive it today in the name of Jesus.